Hi, welcome to episode 23 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gow and I will be talking about the combination of recent moves in the euro and the Chinese renminbi that have combined to push the euro-China cross down to 740. The title for this episode is Euro-China at a three-year low. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Thanks for the usual intro, Greg. As you rightly point out, there is at least one place in the FX market right now where we're seeing a breakout of sorts in the price action, and that's in EuroChina, which is toying with a potential test of levels below 740. We haven't seen levels below 740 since about mid-2018. Right. So here we are on October 26th with all kinds of, uh, quote-unquote, live central bank meetings coming up around the globe over the next two weeks, and meetings that one would think would be driving interesting FX moves. But actually, Things have sort of stalled out in the big dollar, key crosses like Euro-Yen, recently volatile crosses like Aussie-Kiwi. But here we are with this stealthy but very interesting move in Euro-China. Stephen, you're our lead analyst for both currencies. So if we're going to have a conversation about the cross, you'll end up doing most of the talking. Are you okay if I ask you a few questions about the fundamentals underneath this move? Sure. Fire away, Greg. Okay. So here's my first question. We've seen parallel energy crises of sorts in Europe and China over the past six weeks. Europe's energy crisis seems to be part of what's behind Euro weakness. Why haven't things worked the same way for RMB? Greg, I think that's a perfect question to ask because the Euro area and China are both huge energy importers. My sway on things is that the main distinction between the euro area and China in this case can be summarized with one word, and that's policy. But what I'll do for the sake of this podcast is break that one word answer down into a bit of detail. So first on the energy policy side of the equation, the European Union's transition away from fossil fuels has been very rapid. And what we know now from looking at the evidence is that this has placed a lot of upward pressure on European gas and fossil fuel prices because natural gas and LNG are a bridging fuel in between the cleanest and dirtiest forms of energy, and because power generated by renewables is intermittent, which means European energy providers have to hold fossil fuels in reserve as a backup. By contrast, you know, my interpretation at least is that China's transition to renewables isn't happening as quickly. So the hit to its manufacturing base hasn't been as severe, at least not yet. So when you look at the cost of emitting carbon in Europe and you juxtapose that with the EU's significant energy import dependence, there is a bilateral competitiveness hit to the euro, which is brewing here, I think, Greg. 
Um, to be clear, China has experienced power cuts, energy shortages, and the like. But if you look back at 2021 and the steps policymakers took this year to slow the pace of credit growth, by definition, this is a means of inflation control, which in a sense places Chinese policymakers ahead of the curve. So from a policy perspective, 2021 for China has been almost all about self-induced cooling of the domestic economy. Europe's situation, by contrast, I think has taken many policymakers by surprise. Just following up on that, you talked about energy policy and economic policy, but not really monetary and FX policy. How would you contrast the ECB's monetary response to China's FX policy response over the past six weeks, which is the period over which we've seen a big wave lower from 760 to 740 in the Euro-China cross-exchange rate? I think, broadly speaking, Greg, that they directly oppose one another. The ECB has effectively prioritized what it calls the preservation of favorable financing conditions over being hawkish on inflation. And I think that is very much driven by the ECB's role in supporting euro area credit markets. By contrast, everything Chinese policymakers have done, be it in terms of targeted, relatively low levels of liquidity provision, or letting the currency appreciate, has suggested that they think there is a risk that this period of high inflation isn't going to dissipate quickly. Maybe also what I think is important to grasp from the Chinese angle, Greg, is that with the economy cooling off, capital inflows related to RMB appreciation pose less of a potential headache for Chinese policymakers in terms of the influence these inflows have on domestic money supply growth, inflation, and also financial imbalances. Before asking my next question, Let me just preface by saying that many breakout moves in exchange rate pairs happen when there's a sudden divergence in economic growth rates of two economies. Can that explain this Euro-China move? Is Europe's economy suddenly doing a lot worse comparatively? So I don't think a widening short-term growth differential is behind this move in Euro-China, Greg. I could be wrong, but for now, I think the FX market is mainly focusing on the fact that both economies are slowing synchronously. So I would turn your attention back to the structural medium-term competitiveness issues in play here and the cyclical ones related to monetary policy. I think they're the main drivers of this move in Euro-China. Last question. Where you mentioned Europe's deterioration of competitiveness, could you describe for our listeners the evolution of the bilateral trade balance between the Eurozone and China over the past two or three years? Is there a devolution of European competitiveness showing up there that is maybe a key driver behind the FX move? Greg, I really do think there is based on the data I can see and also my interpretation of that data. So firstly, from a euro area perspective as a whole, the goods trade deficit with Asia has simply been getting bigger over time. If you look at Eurostat's data uh, to the point where I think it's now about one and a half to two percent of euro area GDP. And this is the important point. The trend is toward a worsening trade deficit. But I also think it's important for us to break it down a bit and take a look at one important piece of that overall trade position with Asia, and that's Germany. Germany runs a modest bilateral trade surplus with China, and that trade position with China has actually improved since about 2010. But One of the things that's important here from an exchange rate perspective is that the improvement in Germany's trade position with China has occurred alongside a depreciation of the euro's real effective exchange rate. 
So that's nominal adjusted for CPI inflation rate differentials. So what's the medium term angle here? Well, I think it's an open question whether Germany can leverage its export sector through the forces of globalization in the decade ahead to the same degree that it did during the first 20 years of the euro's existence. Part of the problem here is the rising operating cost for German industry. And we touched on a portion of that earlier. But I think another portion uh, of the problem is that Asia has now developed its own technologies to compete directly with German manufactured goods. So it's possible that the euro will have to fall even further in real effective terms to make up for these losses that weren't an issue 10 or 15 years ago. Now, the ECB says it does not target the exchange rate, but I would be very surprised if this issue is not something they're aware of. And Europe's bilateral deficit with China and its trade deficit with the rest of Asia is going to be a hot topic within the EU for years to come, I think. Thanks, Stephen. That pretty much uh, exhausts the questions that I wanted to ask you about Europe and China's comparative exchange rate fundamentals. That's good, Greg, because I think I need to ask you about the potential spillovers from this move in the Chinese renminbi to other parts of the FX space. I think the two currencies which may interest our audience the most are the Australian dollar and the Japanese yen. Can you give us an indication of where the spillover risks for these currencies are? Thanks for bringing up the yen. And that brings us to an important point. In today's podcast, we're trumpeting the Chinese renminbi hitting its strongest level against the euro since mid-2018. But actually, the renminbi hit its strongest level against the yen since mid-2018, a week ago. So it's a very similar move, and one that suggests that the euro-China move is much more about China than Europe. It looks to me that uh, CNY-JPY, and that's really the cross that's traded there, has scoped a trade above 18 the figure and run higher. But I would note that this is a much more politically sensitive exchange rate for China than uh, Euro-China. So if it seems to be moving too far too fast, China might put the brakes on this. With regards to Aussie, uh, historically, there has been an on again and off again, pretty strong correlation between the Rimbi and the Aussie. I would describe the fundamental connection underneath that as a correlation that's growth-driven. So if the RMB is rallying because of a strengthening Chinese economy, then Aussie would also rally too because FX markets price in higher export growth and therefore higher economic growth for Australia. But that's not the dynamic we're describing here. So I don't think that RMB gains will necessarily bring Aussie gains. However, and for separate reasons, I think Aussie has a lot of room to rally, but that's because the market is so short of it. And the market is so short due to RBA dovishness, well, at least compared to peers like RBNZ and the Bank of Canada. If the RBA were to begin to turn the ship on that just a little bit, Aussie USD could rally to 78 cents in a hurry. But I wouldn't tie that back necessarily to the RMB. That's a great segment, Greg. I think we've given our listeners enough to chew on for one week. Let's wrap it up here. Until next time, bye for now. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts 
at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.